Good morning. It's uh, great to see you all here. It's uh, good to welcome the folk in the overflow and those of you who are joining us online. Um, I was struck quite recently um, when I was listening to the radio um, and there was a doctor on and they were saying we're, we're facing an epidemic and no, it's not COVID. Um, the epidemic that they were facing with was people coming to them with a sense of depression because they felt guilty. Now, they were saying that many of these people were feeling a bit guilty about things they didn't need to feel guilty about. But a lot of others were feeling guilty because of things that they were just pressing under and pretending didn't really matter. Today, we're looking at the answer. We're looking at the answer to guilt. And our first song is celebrating the answer that every Christian has, that in Christ alone we have a certain hope. So let's join in standing and singing along to the words of this great song.
We're going to start with our first reading, looking at Psalm 130. And we're going to read the whole psalm. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my plea for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. It's a great truth that we have a God who's like that. Now, let's come to him in prayer. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, you know us, each as individuals. You know where we've come from this morning. You know what this week has been like. You know that for some of us it's been a great week. And for others of us we would be in the same position as the psalmist. Oh Lord, we feel depressed and in the depths. But Lord, we do thank you that we may call on you whatever our circumstances are. And Lord, we thank you that as a good father, you don't leave your children struggling in the mud, even if we've got there by our own stupidity. Oh Lord, we thank you that you tell us to call and that you will answer And Lord, we thank you that we have heard, we have known that you have heard us and we have experienced that rescue. Oh Lord, we thank you that you tell us that all who call on you will be saved. Oh Lord, we need your help because we are weak and we go astray so often. Oh Lord, we pray that you will send your Holy Spirit into our lives to turn us away from you, away, away from the things that keep us from you. Oh Lord, we ask that you will give us the strength to resist our fears, the ability to focus on you and to know your love. Oh Lord, you know that a number of us are weary. We've, we've had a, a busy time, a stressful time. Oh Lord, we pray that this will be a time of refreshing for those feeling like that. We pray especially for James and Rachel. Oh Lord, you, you know the stresses and strains of their work in Cyprus. You know that these last few months have been particularly demanding and that they haven't been able to have a proper bake for so long. Oh, Father, we pray that you will refresh them as they plan to come to England. We pray that the arrangements will go smoothly, that you will meet with them, that you will help them to restore their energy and rest and recover. 
Oh Lord, we pray for them especially as they've had the privilege yet the burden of ministering to Sandra as she has struggled with that illness and has now gone to be with you. Oh Lord, we do pray for Sandra's friends and for James and Rachel as this long battle with the illness has has taken so much energy and so much trial for them. Oh Lord, we do thank you for the care that was shown to her. And Lord, we pray that you will be with those who grieve, that you will give them confidence that you are good and that you are in control. And Lord, we pray especially for Sandra's boyfriend as he doesn't know you and he has no hope and it all feels to be the end. Oh Lord, we pray that you will use this sadness to bring him to know peace and joy in you. Oh Lord, we do thank you that we can pray to you and we thank you that we can bring all our needs, all our cares and all our concerns to you. Oh Father, we do thank you that you're a prayer hearing and a prayer answering God. And we thank you for the prayers that you have answered for the YP holiday that's just taken place. Oh Lord, we thank you that people got on so well. They had such a great time that your word was heard and that your word was proclaimed. Oh Lord, we, we do ask that that seed will produce great fruit in many lives. And Lord, we pray especially for the leaders as they come off the holiday. Oh Lord, we pray that you'll protect them from Satan's attack. We pray that you will give them energy and save them from weariness after the lack of sleep that they have had and the work that they have put in. Oh Lord, we do pray that you will refresh them and give them a sense of joy in what you have done through them. And Lord, we pray that the young people will benefit for a long time from what they have heard and what they have done. Oh Lord, we do thank you for the many opportunities that summertime brings. We thank you that the restrictions are such that we're able to take the opportunities you give us. And Lord, we do pray that you will be with the camp that's planned to start next Saturday. Oh Lord, once again, Lord, we pray that you will work. We pray that you will be rescuing people and bringing them from darkness into your glorious light. And Lord, we do pray for Ed as he plans to go on the beach mission. Lord, we pray that you'll uh, use him, that it will be a really beneficial time and that there will be people who are asking more questions now we're, we've had this long COVID period. Oh Lord, we are grieved that so few people around us seem to have recognised that they're not in control. Oh Lord, we as a country need your mercy and Lord, we pray that you will wake people up to the lie we tell ourselves that we're in control. Oh Lord, I pray that you'll have mercy on our country. 
And Lord, we ask that you will give our government real wisdom and real integrity as we go through the next few months and years. Oh Lord, we we pray that you will change people's hearts and lives so that there is an acknowledgement and a relationship with you not a reliance on what people think and what the majority want. Oh Lord, we live in a troubled world. And Lord, we, we do pray now for the country of Nigeria. Oh Lord, we ask that you will send true pastors to the churches as we hear stories of people building great empires out of the, the congregations and leaving the flock needy and impoverished. Oh Lord, we pray that you will change that. And as we hear of terrorists taking away the children Oh Lord, we pray that they will be back with their families and we ask, Lord, that you will strengthen your church and that you will help them to serve you in that land. Oh Lord, as we come to you now, we need you. Oh Lord, we do thank you that we have your word to to listen to. Oh Lord, we pray that as John speaks to us, we will have a sense that you are speaking to our hearts We ask that you will help him to be faithful to your word and that your word will come powerfully to us now. Oh Lord, as we come to you, we know that we are sinners. There is no reason that we can come apart from because of Jesus. Oh Lord, we thank you that you sent your son to pay the price for the sin of everyone who trusts you. Oh Lord, we thank you that we who are sinners, but forgiven sinners, can look forward to that day when we are with you forever. Oh Lord, give us eyes to see that and hearts that look forward to that day. Amen. Well, John's going to come up now and uh, do the children's talk. Good. Well, children, I'm going to get you to think about colours. About colours. Isn't it good that we can um, see things in colour? God has made our eyes so that we can see things in colour and things are very interesting. So you think of the clothes you've got. They're not all black and white. I realise I'm in black and white this morning, but all your clothes aren't in black and white. You've got colours around, haven't you, in your wardrobe. And you think of your garden when it's um, in flowers. Think of different bushes, different colours, looking nice. Think around your room, you've got books, posters, lots of different colours. And what your favourite colour is. Anyone tell me their favourite colour? What's your favourite colour? What's your favourite colour? Blue. Anyone else? Turquoise. That's an interesting colour. One more. One more favourite colour. I'll go with blue and turquoise. And well, do you know 
thinking of colours, we can tell uh, we can tell the Bible story just by using colours if we want. We can tell the Bible story in colours. And that's what I'm going to do this morning. So maybe you, you find that you can't understand lots of things. I hope you can remember these colours and then maybe at lunchtime you'll be able to tell your parents or somebody else about the Bible story in colours. Here we go. Green first. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Think of the things that God made. Lots of them green and things feeding on green. I suppose we could have had blue, green, blue, couldn't we? Blue for the oceans, green for the land, blue for the skies. But let's keep it simple. God made us and God made everything. That's the starting point. Secondly, black. Black. That's about our sin. The Bible calls our sin works of darkness. It says all our right, all our good things are like filthy rags. Sadly, we've done lots of wrong things, and that's really bad news. And that's the second colour to remember when we think of the Bible story. But God has done something about it. And so here we have red. What am I thinking about with red? I'm thinking about Jesus dying on the cross and his blood. It says in the Bible, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleans from all sin. So God has done something about the blackness that there is and that we have done. And what's the result of Jesus dying on the cross for those who put their trust in him? It's white and all the black of our sin disappears. Somebody in the Bible says, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Through Jesus, we can have all our sins forgiven. That's four colours. I've got one more colour to finish. It's a nice colour. This is what happens. This is the final end for those who have found forgiveness. It's gold. It's gold. The way the Bible describes Heaven, the new creation, is often in the colour gold. The streets of the city were pure gold, we're told in Revelation. Some of the Olympians are hoping they're heading for gold. A lot of them won't be, but everyone who trusts in Jesus is heading for gold at the very end of their lives. So, maybe you don't remember everything that you're told. Perhaps you can remember five colours and with those five colours, green, black, red, white, gold, you've got the whole Bible story in one go. Thank you. Thanks, John. Um, Our next Bible reading is the passage that John's going to be uh, teaching us from shortly. It's Psalm 32, and in the psalm, there's quite often the word Selah repeated. And what that is, is that's a direction um, to the worshippers to pause and think. So as we read God's word, let's see what God is saying to us. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. 
Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So we'll look forward to John teaching us from this part of God's word. But before that, we're going to stand and join in singing um, this prayer, really, from a life of weariness, from my guilt and my distress. Saviour, to your side I flee. Bring me back to Calvary. So let's stand and sing.
Well, I look to you all. I'm glad to see so many here this morning. Uh, look at the camera. Welcome those on the overflow. Pleased to have you here or following at home. Uh, also look above the camera and just make mention that this is Noah's last time on the Tech Rotor. He's moving off to uh, Newbury. I just want to make a special mention that we're so grateful, Noah, for all that you've done. I know the tech team do loads. We've been particularly grateful over this time, but Noah, with his uh, IT knowledge and willingness, has done a lot to help us. So people here and people watching are very grateful. Noah, we wish you well as you go to Newbury and settle there. Well, now to Psalm 32. Um, outside doesn't always match the inside, does it? Things can seem okay on the surface, but inside things can be very difficult and very different. There can be an, an inner weight which is proving very hard to bear. There can be a hidden chain which is hampering our freedom. There can be, uh, if you like, a constant sucking drain inside, draining us of life and vitality and joy. And that burden, uh, chain and drain, can be guilt. Especially unconfessed guilt. We're not always aware of what it's doing. But I think this has a a bigger effect on us than many realise. One professor of systematic theology talked about guilt conflicts. Guilt conflicts inside can have a tremendously crippling, hampering and tormenting effect upon life In fact, this condition can lead to an outbreak of organic illness, being physically unwell. Well, if you sense that that may have been your situation, uh, then you have a partner in experience in David. He's the person who wrote this song that we've just had read to us. We're not told directly what the guilt was that was on his mind. Uh, We can have our guesses because there was an episode or a series of episodes in David's life which was a tragic set of failures. Failures in the area of unfaithfulness and morality. Failures in harsh treatment of others. So it may have been that that he had in mind, but it, it might not be. Doubtless there were many things in his life which he had to be ashamed of. So perhaps he was thinking more generally of those two. And maybe you feel a sense of shame. You think back perhaps to the cheating. You think of those lies. Think of that harshness towards someone you loved. You think of those circumstances perhaps which led to the abortion that you really don't feel at all easy about in your conscience. Maybe you think of pornography and multiplied failures. You think of the way you kept treating your sister 
You think of the lack of warm love and respect towards your parents. You think of being under the influence of alcohol and some of the consequences that's had for you and for others. Or you think of your relationship with God, the ungratefulness despite his goodness, the defiance despite his wisdom, the bitterness despite his kindness, You think of your lack of love, your lack of respect, your lack of worship, your lack of notice of him. Though David felt very deeply these things, that's not how the psalm ends up. It's not how the song finishes. It doesn't end on Heaviness, hence our title this morning, Finding Forgiveness. And my prayer is that that's where you may end up, somewhere where this psalm ends up. Or realise that that's where you've actually been brought and you just need to remember that's where you are. I'm praying it would be useful for those who are perhaps starting to realise their need, their guilt for the first time, but I'm praying also that it might be a help for Christians who stray down the wrong paths and who need the sunshine of the sense of forgiveness to come back into their lives. We're going to go through the psalm, I'm going to give you some headings just to sort of give a heads up as to uh, some of the main points. Here's the first one. Might need you to do that Richard, thank you. Happiness is, happiness is. Well I was brought up on TV ads in the 70s and 80s, And they have an answer for what happiness is. Happiness is a cigar called Hamlet, a mild cigar from Benson and Hedges. Although I don't think that's really worked out in the health consequences of that choice and option. According to Charlie Brown cartoon, uh, happiness is a warm blanket. What is happiness? Our songwriter has something to say about happiness or being deeply blessed and he states it in verses 1 and 2. Blessed or deeply happy, exuberantly happy, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. You see, he puts it in three ways, what he's describing. There's transgression, that is, uh, rebelliously, deliberately stepping over God's line, and yet there is forgiveness of transgressions. Forgiveness here is a picture of somebody who's got a big burden on them. You're you're on holiday, you've got lots of luggage, you haven't got a trolley, you're you're carrying more than you can really cope with. Your school bag is full of files and by the time you get to school really it's just too much on your back. And it's relieved, it's taken off, the burden goes like the pilgrim in Pilgrim Progress losing his burden of guilt. Transgression forgiven, that is a reason for happiness. He puts it secondly as sin, sin that is missing the mark. 
falling short of God's standards. I guess there's been some Olympic uh, coverage. I haven't seen much of the Olympics with the time it's on. But I guess there's been some archery or shooting, or there will be soon. Probably because you've got top marksmen, very fine margins between the ball and just the edge. Well, of course, if we were to have a go, yeah, we would get nowhere near the target. We wouldn't even bother the piece of paper. And as we think of God's purity, we've missed the mark by a long way. It's a serious business, but here he talks about that sin being covered, disappearing, no record of it. Out of sight, sin is covered, is a cause of happiness. He puts it thirdly in terms of iniquity. That's our bias to do wrong. We're like the the bowl that just goes off to one side. We've got an inner perverseness, twistedness, desire to do things we shouldn't do and things that are wrong. We look back and think, just how, how on earth did I do that? How did I lose my senses? What could have possessed me? It was so wrong. It was iniquity. And yet we're told that uh, here is a person whose iniquity, the Lord doesn't count. And Paul draws on that in Romans 4. Sin's not counted against us. Maybe you've seen um, Pointless. Pointless. The quiz show, Pointless. If you ever want to watch the 6 o'clock news and you get it on a bit early, you see the last little bit of Pointless. It's one of the Queen's favourite programmes, apparently. You know, at the end of the, 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 the show, the, the last round, the sort of finale, they're hoping to get a, an answer which is pointless. So it's the correct answer to the question, but none of the other 100 people interviewed got it. That's, that's your pointless answer. And it starts up high, doesn't it? 100, and it starts to come down. And think about that in terms of uh, the, the sins we've done before God, your sin before God, and you're wondering, how many sins does God count against you? And you know it, you know, suspect it's much more than 100, so you're thinking of 100,000, that's a starting point. You think, well, where's it going to end up? What, what, how many sins does the Lord hold against me? And it starts to come down, you think, well, it's not 100,000, you get 50,000, you get 20,000, keeps coming, it's into three figures, it's still going down, it's into two figures, it's less than 100, it's into single figures, and then it goes all the way down and there's naught. And that's the point in the show when they, the contestants hug each other, there's money earned, it's, the, it's what the show's about. Pointless. Well, you're not pointless here, but here the, the psalmist says that the person who's faultless, God keeps no sins. It's all the way down. There's the joy of it being down at the bottom with no sins recorded against you. And that is a point of tremendous happiness. That's just what states, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. As a sincere person, this is genuine, and in in whose spirit there is no deceit. Uh, So that's what happiness is, he states at the start. Have you found that happiness? Are you faultless in God's eyes? You can be in a position of this happiness. You can be in a position of being faultless in God's eyes. Well, when you've done so much wrong, that is a reason for happiness. And the psalm writer goes on to tell 
us of his experience and, and how it worked out. I think I'm going to rely on you, Richard, for this. I'm, perhaps I need new batteries in that. We call it breaking the silence. We're in verses 3 to 5. Now, breaking the silence. You see, he, he kept silent about what he'd done wrong. He, he didn't admit it to God. Uh, that was a bad idea and it produced its strain, this unconfessed sin. Fiona Campbell walked into John O'Groats in 1994. She was hailed not just as someone who had walked the length of Britain, but as someone who over the last 11 years had walked around the whole globe she was the first woman to do so and she would be a world record holder. Things didn't go so well in the months afterwards that followed. She had a near breakdown. She started to take drugs. She was close to suicide. And then in 1996, the guilt became unbearable. She came clean And she declared, I shouldn't be remembered as the first woman to walk around the globe. I cheated. And in North America, on many of the days, she got into her support truck and travelled along in the support truck and just got out to walk into the next town. She'd got herself uh, pregnant with one of the support crew and she found the walking too much. She talks of getting to the point in the months that followed where she says, and after that you suddenly saw very clearly that there was a fork in the road for me, the easy road of getting deeper and deeper into drugs or the harder one of telling the truth. She told the truth. She gave a a big apology to her sponsor's rally She gave a big apology to those who'd walked the final leg with her from Land's End to John O'Groats. She asked to be taken out of the Guinness Book of Records. To her credit, at a later point, she walked all the points that she'd missed and she's back in the Guinness Book of Records. But it illustrates the effect of silent guilt, keeping it, repressing it. David felt the same in verse For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Wasting away. Inner continual groaning heaviness and burden, sapped of strength. It might seem a long time ago now, a couple of weeks ago, we had a reasonably hot week, didn't we? And I don't know if you found the same, but by the middle of the day, I was struggling to be very productive. It was sapping you of energy. That's his experience. Burdened, groaning, sapped of energy, done wrong, not dealt with it, bearing it himself. Perhaps that's what's really going on in your life. But see what David did. Is this what you need to do? See what he did in verse 5. 
I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. See, I I acknowledged. I did not cover. I will confess. He now gets to the point where he's open with the Lord about it. He tells the Lord, he confesses his guilt to the Lord. Lord, you've seen it, you know what I've done. Let, let me tell you, this is what I did and it was wrong and I'm sorry. That's what David did. See what God did in verse 5. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin with a sealer. It's worth stopping and thinking about, pausing there. And you forgave, and you, some, some translations have, and you, you forgave the iniquity. Just filled with a sense of wonder and amazement that the almighty just God could forgive his sin. And you, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. But that is what God can do through Jesus. There's an Old Testament proverb, 28 and verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And in the New Testament you find that Jesus has come and he's called, John says this, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God has made a way to deal with sin. On the cross, Jesus was bearing the punishment, the guilt of others. Colossians 2 and verse 14. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt. How is it that you can be pointless? How is it you can get down to naught? How is it there can be celebration? By cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's where it's gone. Peter talks about this, 1 Peter 2 and verse 24 of Jesus. He himself bore, carried our sins in his body on the tree, that is on the cross. So your sin can be lifted off your back, that burden. And if it's like, it's dead, it's put on the peg on the cross and you go free. Your, your sin can be totally covered so that it disappears. You can be counted guiltless. And it is a joy it is a joy. Some of the folks met together at Alderbrook. James gave his testimony and I understand he referred to the point in his life where he felt that sense of forgiveness and came down the stairs with such a, a sense of joy and relief that God had taken away all his sin. Breaking the silence and finding forgiveness. Well, we find other things as the psalm goes on. We see... Next, a safe place. Thank you. A safe place. From his experience, from what he's been through, what he said in verses 1 to 5, he's got a a message for others. Others who are concerned and sensitive to God. 
And it's a message for us as well. Let's read then from verse 6 and 7. Therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they will not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. He's saying to others, pray about your guilt. Take it to the Lord. Confess it to him as I have. That's a safe place. He's a hiding place, a place of refuge. You perhaps saw coverage of the torrents in Germany. You think of the tide coming in when you're close to cliffs and it's getting higher and the waves are rather choppy. This week there was a a tsunami warning for Hawaii after an 8.2 magnitude earthquake. I don't know quite what happened, but a warning went round and you think the the fear of a a tsunami, of of raging waters catching you. So what do you want to do in these situations? Well, you want to get up to a high place. Do you you ever think like that? You don't think like that. Sometimes I'll find myself, if there was a tsunami here, how high would I have to get up? Where would I get up to a high place? Do you ever find yourself thinking, You want to be somewhere where you'd be safe and out of reach. And that's the the wording of this psalm. That that's what happens when somebody confesses and goes to God. They get to a, a place which is out of reach where the consequences of their sin, the, the guilt of their sin, won't reach them. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely the rush of great waters shall not reach him. It's a safe place to go to God confessing your sin. Telling others about your sin and what you've done wrong can feel a risky business, can't it? Sometimes it's good to tell others for he's done it against them. It's just good to tell them to apologise. Sometimes it's helpful to tell somebody else. But it does depend who it is. It needs to be a trustworthy person. It feels quite risky, sort of bearing your soul, confessing the things that you've done wrong. But you know, to do so to God is a safe thing. It's a safe place. It's a safe place. Tell the Lord, trust in him, go to him. You are, verse 7, a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. So you're up high, you're out of reach of the tsunami. Maybe it's come crashing in, but it hasn't got you or anyone you care about and and there's a sense of, yes, we're safe. And when you've confessed to the Lord your sin and found forgiveness through Jesus, yes, you're safe. Find the way of safety while it's there. It's a time when it won't be. Isaiah 55 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. David here says, Offer prayer to you at the time when you may be found. Don't leave it to, don't go sunbathing on the beach when you've heard the tsunami warning. Get to a place of safety. The place of safety is by taking it to the Lord in confession and trust.
He talks next, thank you, of the way forward, of the way forward. Sometimes when we're taken up with our own guilt, we can feel there's no way out. It just feels so gloomy. We just feel oppressed by how bad we've been. That's presumably why Fiona Campbell uh, considered taking her life. Others consider similar things. Don't go down that route. There's no need to dwell in despair. That doesn't have to be the finishing place. There is a way forward and this was David's experience after confessing his guilt to God. We come on to verses 8 and 9. Some think this is still David speaking, sort of warmly, compassionately instructing others to listen to him. But generally it's understood that this is now the words of God to David to encourage him. And it shows there is a way forward for the guilty. I will instruct you, says the Lord, and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. There's a way forward. There is a way out. It's a way of God's care. It's a way of God's direction. He will be with you. His word, his spirit will direct you. I will, to the guilty person, to the person who'd been so strained under a sense of burden of what they've done wrong, the loving, gracious God says, I will instruct you. It reminds me of Peter on the beach in John 21. Peter filled increasingly, I think, with a sense of how bad he's been at denying the Lord three times and Jesus' words to him after he questioned him and talked to him is, Peter, follow me. You follow me. There's a way forward. There is a way forward. Is there life after death, we sometimes ask? Yes, is the answer of the Gospel. Is there, a, is there, is there life after failure, we might ask? Yes, is the answer of the Gospel. The way forward, verses 8 to 9. And then finally, we get to the last bit, which is shout for joy, verses 10 and 11. You remember we started uh, the message with a heaviness, a dullness, a sense of despair where he had got to with his unconfessed sin. See where we end up now. We have the, the wicked and the righteous, but that's not just about those who have done wrong and those who have been perfectly good and right. The righteous here are like David who have done wrong and who've confessed it and who've found mercy. And see what the mood is for those who are righteous because they found righteousness in God's mercy. Verse 10 Many are the sorrows of the wicked but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. 
Have you found something of that? Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Oh, the joy, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is now to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh, my soul. This is the, the land of joy for the guilty. And it's open for all. There's one way in. It's through confession to God and trust in his son, Jesus Christ. But that gives access to this joy and gladness despite your history. Maybe some of you have never come before. You've never headed off to the land of joy and delight and gladness of forgiveness. Well, maybe this psalm is is going to be your encouragement and your nudge this morning. Don't stay in silence, straining under the guilt. Take it to the Lord. Trust in his Son. I hope and have been praying that this will be a psalm which brings people to Jesus. But maybe Christians, you've slipped. You've slipped badly. And you've been silent over it as well. And this morning this psalm maybe comes to you to remind you of your need to confess, to be open to the Lord, the need again to enjoy his forgiveness, to enjoy the forgiveness that comes through Jesus. Confess again, enjoy forgiveness. I was listening to a message on my run on Friday on this psalm from a a, a a speaker called Marcus Nodder. I really appreciate the things he said when I've heard him uh, preach. And uh, towards the end he gave a, a personal note of, of how he'd found himself, even in the Christian life, in a, a dull, bad place, needing to come to the point of confession. And he he, 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 his preaching on Psalm 32 reminded him of this and he looked up an excerpt in his diary and he, he read it out to the congregation as he preached. Well, I couldn't obviously record it as I was running but my wife's typing skills are much better than mine and she's typed it up for me so I can read it to you. This is what he said. I thought it was, I thought it was encouraging. His diary... Um, His diary excerpt is this. Like switching from black and white to colour. I left the house this morning with the moon and the sun low in front and the fresh sky clear as could be. And for the first time in so long I experienced forgiveness. I not only knew it in my head, I knew it in my heart and believe me it was good to be alive. No condemnation just as if I'd never sinned, aftertaste of Eden and foretaste of heaven, and nothing else seemed to matter. How awful to greet such a morning with guilt and shame and facing God unforgiven. There and then I knew forgiveness, and believe me, it was good to be alive. Time seemed to stand still. Forgiveness was mine, and no one would take it away. And quoting, Blessed is he whose sins are covered, 
whose sin the Lord does not count against him. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Well, it is to that point that this wonderful psalm, Psalm 32, takes us. Amen.